We have a guest speaker today, uh, my friend, Jonathan Reynolds from Salem Baptist Church in Chicago. He's with us, and uh, John has been here before. He's spoken a number of times now. What is this, four? This is the fourth time or something John's been here? So, John, why don't you come on up here? Guys, why don't you uh, welcome John? And John's going to be preaching on the multi-ethnic church. So let me pray, and then we will get started. Father, Lord, we just praise you. We glorify you, Lord, how great it is to be gathered in community, to worship you together, and to praise your name. Lord, I pray that as John opens your word, Lord, that our hearts would be receptive to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you guys could, could you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2, starting right at verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. And I have tagged this, the cross and reconciliation. Uh, I am not going to speak on the multi-ethnic church. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I will be speaking to it. This passage has implications of that, of course. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Say amen if you're there through your mask or mumble it if you can. There we go. Oh, my goodness. Great, great. The cross and reconciliation. Therefore, remember, I'm reading from the NIV, by the way, that formerly you were, you uh, are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time, at that time, you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near to the blood by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Can I get an amen? The dividing walls of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both up both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. But on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole world is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. But in him and in him, you too being, get, being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. God bless the reading of his word. 
What a beautiful thing it is to be here in the house of the Lord with you all. What a beautiful thing it is to be in his actual physical temple. Uh, my church uh, is in the city, and we have not met for church since March of last year. And so it is a beautiful thing to see faces, to be with real people, to be brought together in this place. It's nothing like church on a Sunday morning, amen. I hope I'm not being too churchy, by which we can come together and lift up praises and hear each other's voices in beautiful harmony and beautiful uh, reconciliation coming together, right, and singing together. Uh, this John is here today, uh, your, your, your pastor, your teaching. I, 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 he's usually not here when I preach, so, so, I, I, so I'm going to go ahead. But I, I'm, glad, I'm glad I made him part of my introduction here. Me and John were brought together by Trinity, the cross. Yes, at Trinity, the, the T that brought us together. Uh, John is a white guy, and I'm black. Uh, I'm from the city, and he's from out here somewhere. I don't even know. What is this town? I'm just kidding. Burlington, right? I mean, so, so I mean, what, what further back? Also, I mean, he, he, he comes from a, a dad who pastors out here, a beautiful family out here. My dad pastors on the south side. We probably would have never met if it was not for Trinity, right? Nor would we have had this continual relationship where he has asked me for the fourth time to come back here and speak to you guys. So I don't know if he's imposing things on you. You can let me know or not. But he seems to want to continue a relationship with me. And that relationship that we have garnered and brought together has grown and blossomed into something that is beautiful now we have had beautiful conversations on the phone. What do you think about this and what do you think about that? What do you think about what's been happening here and what do you think about that? And I get to hear his different perspective of someone who grew up with a different background, with a different culture, with a different family, from a different part, from not, not even from the same state. And then he gets to hear mine and we have a beautiful exchange, right? We continue to grow. Um, our relationship has grown. We stuck together, knowing each other in the same classrooms, playing basketball together, all type of things, and it has grown since then. And that's what reconciliation is about. It's not just this um, piece of uh, this false hope or this false surfaceful unity. It is something by which you're growing together, right? You're growing in relationship. And the beautiful thing is when you get some things that are challenges in between you, such as distance, such as differences, such as uh, 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 different experiences that then causes you to have to come back together and continue to reconcile, continue to grow. That is reconciliation, the fact that different things can be brought together. Man, don't you thank God for Jesus Christ that you can still on a Sunday morning be worshiping with people from all over the world, speaking in all different languages, from all different experiences in, in life, and be able to come together and say, we are reconciled on Sunday morning to worship together. That although Burlington, Wisconsin is out here, you know, and, 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 and it has its own demographics and its own culture, that you feel unified with the rest of the body of Christ 
together on a Sunday morning, no matter what the differences are. I believe that the cross and that Christ is the only great and true unifier. It's the only thing that really brings people together. Everything else is a facade. Everything else is wishful thinking. Everything else will not truly reconcile real differences. And this passage for Paul is one by which he explains this in detail. Ephesians is the story of the gospel. If you go back and review through Ephesians, each chapter is about this beautiful narrative, this beautiful tapestry of how the gospel begins to unfold and how it has come and the good news has happened and now we are working to continue that as being the hands and the feet of the gospel. And so we see this here in Ephesians chapter 1 that Jesus begins uh, this good news by connecting us back with God the Father. That Jesus, through his blood on the cross, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 7, he said the blood is the thing that was spilled that was for you and for me. And in doing so, then he connects us back to God and connects the entire world, the universe, the cosmos, everything back to him. That it is the beautiful work that he did on the cross by painting it bloody red. That by looking to that, we are then reconciled back with God vertically. It is that beautiful cross that perfects that relationship, that progresses it for you and for me with God. That we continue to look back to the cross and we continue to look back to Jesus Christ as the one that continues to perfect our relationship with him. That although I might still make a mistake tomorrow, thank God for the cross. Because it is true reconciliation for me with God. Pull out your bags. He goes right in verse uh, in, in the first um, uh, chapter and in beginning of the second chapter to begin unloading in your bag spiritual blessings. And in the city we say, check the bag, check your bag, you know, check your bag. Um, you know, unloading, that's, that's urban talk, you know, bag it up. Unloading in your bag spiritual blessings. And you can be gangster about it or you could be innocent about it. Either way, you don't deserve it. And God gives and unloads into your bag all of these spiritual blessings that now changes your status with him. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and, and mutual edification. Romans 14, 19, as your pastor has preached, he lives this out. But then we move into chapter two. Oh my goodness. And we begin to learn how the reconciliation doesn't just work for us to him. It's not just hyper individualism. It's not just that I feel good because I got it. Wow, now I get connected horizontally with everyone that is around me. And we get to see Jesus Christ, the great demolition man, the great demolition Messiah, work to tear down barriers, not just for us to him, but for us to each other. Yeah, he's much better than the 1993 Sylvester Stallone movie. He already cracked the code to cryogenic freezing when he created the universe himself and demolished darkness and created life out of that. Praise Jesus for his spiritual blessings of what he did, speaking the world into existence. 
He does so and then leads to the cross, then doing his greatest work ever. Something that even Sylvester Stallone could not do. He does what? Tear down sin, guilt, shame. All of this on the cross for us. Man, what a work. He connects us through the cross with each other. John, go be with my mother. He sends out the apostles. We see the great work of the cross and reconciliation. If you're taking notes, my three points are the ABCs of the cross and reconciliation. The cross and reconciliation abolished anarchy, point one. Anarchy is just lawlessness. Point two, it broke barriers. The barriers of hostility, the dividing walls of hostility. And number three, it establishes Christ as our cornerstone. The cross and reconciliation does these three works. Abolished anarchy, breaks barriers, and established Christ as our cornerstone. Verses 11 through 13 narrates for us how he abolished anarchy. Black History Month is this month. It is the beautiful short month of February where we get to reflect on all of the things that black people had to go through. Slavery, segregation, civil rights, and systematic racism. Actually, for me, I don't mind that it's the shortest month. Uh, you know, so, you know, you, and people got good intentions. I mean, there's, there's people who are like, you know, we need a short month and we shouldn't even really have it at all. Black people say this because we shouldn't be reflecting on the past so much. We need to just progress and move forward. Uh, and then you got the crazy, you know, <laughs> the, the crazy liberals in the city who are like, it needs to be every day, all year long, every day. <laughs> I don't mind that it's short. I don't mind that it's short because when you truly go back and reflect on those heavy, the heaviness of the anarchy that happened against black people who were enslaved and brought here through the transatlantic slave movement, it is traumatic. And maybe it isn't something to relive over and over again in that way. But however, Paul takes the time to also remind us of anarchy here in the beginning. He reminds us that we were sons and daughters of anarchy, lawlessness, wretchedness. That we were Gentiles. I'm sorry for if there's any Jewish people in the room. I'll get to you later, but I got to set it up with Gentiles first. We were sons and daughters of this lawlessness. We were not neutral. We were the opposing team. We were not just the slaves or enslaved of sin. We were the slave drivers. We were the descendants of those who chose to disobey, as he points out in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. We were willing to be the ones who desired the things of the flesh. We fall from that category. And maybe you're like John or something, and you just grew up your whole life in church and you never sinned. However, still, you have original sin within you that was passed down from your mother and father down to you. And you began this life in opposition against him. And so he wants to remind us of our state. Therefore, 
So once then, now, remember, it's first Sunday. When do you guys do communion? Okay, we're forgetting. This is six long. Usually, uh, first Sunday, sometimes it's communion Sunday, right? So we'll act like it is today. Remember, put the members together, right? That's what you do on communion Sunday. But we were dismembered. Paul begins this so graciously and so greatly to point out to us that we do not have the markers of circumcision, We are not the people of circumcision. We were the people without it. He points it out clearly here in graphic terms, which was done to your body by human hands, if you don't know what he's talking about. Because he does use it in so many different fashions, but he wants you to get what he's talking about, that he was someone who was a true Jew marked On the eighth day, Deuteronomy chapter 10, Deuteronomy 30, Jeremiah chapter 4, a true Jew who had the true markings of grace. And that grace comes through Jesus Christ and God for his people first. He wants you to get that, that you guys were around out there and you were not the true people at first who were to receive God's grace. Although God had a plan through the covenants of Abraham and the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant, and even to the apostles and the first Jews who became Christian, right, with Jesus, they were Jewish people first. Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry with the Jews. Not marching around here in the new world. Jesus was in the Middle East with Jewish people getting the grace out to them. And so we now must realize our stories, our anthropology that comes of us being dismembered from Christ. He says, foreign without hope before grace has come to us. Remember, we were estranged. We were disconnected. We were not part of the family of God. We were sons and daughters of lawlessness and anarchy. We were stuck in our sins, slaves to our desires. Before the cross came, we were, as he says in Ephesians 2 verse 4, objects of God's wrath. That we were deserving of his wrath. What is it about the wrath? that Paul wants to point out. Is it not just enough that we weren't marked in our private places? Wrath, he wants to point out, through the history has always dealt with, when did God want to get most angry? Idolatry. That we were people who chose Paul's big point here with the sin within us as sons and daughters of anarchy is that we were people who participated in idolatry, dethroning God, and he was angry with us. Because there's notes in this passage of hostility. There's notes in this passage of anger that's happening, wrath. He wants to point out that we were the opposing team that deserved God's great judgment upon us. But at the cross, at the cross God allows for Jesus to uproot 
out of our heart this spirit of idolatry. God did not just save us to reconcile us so that we would just be nice people. So that John would come over to me and know the right things to say. Or the right way to act. But God abolished the anarchy so that we would be uprooted out of our hearts this idolatry against him. The true sin is one of dethroning God from our hearts, not just the mistake. If you think it's about the moment and getting the mistakes right, then you'll miss the point. The point is that Christ, but now, has brought us near to God, not to be nice in our reconciliation, but to abolish in our hearts our idolatry against God. That if we are people who participate in abolishment with God, that now we are people who talk a lot about renouncing the old ways. That when it becomes our month to reflect on the anarchy or the Sunday morning to come and to remember how we were dismembered, that the cross, at the cross, we see true addiction and pride, hatred against our brother and sister be ripped from our hearts. Amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Not just the things that I have done, but me, myself, my heart, who I am, God transformed. 1779, John Newton writes this after living a career of being a slave driver, participating on the sea with carrying black bodies from one coast to another. He had even participated in being a part of the Navy, he was a war man. He had so much he felt like when he began to study Christian theology in the, in the later parts of his life that he was just a dirty person who lived the life of anarchy. And in reflecting upon how God abolished that from him, he writes one of the most beautiful hymns that should ever be written. I think the... New contemporary music, we should just get rid of it and sing Amazing Grace every, every week. How about that? That maybe reconciliation in America looks like us changing our liturgy to be one of Amazing Grace continuously. Continuously renouncing our old ways of who we are so that we can properly remember that there's not enough theology in our new music for me. No, I don't mind the new music. Some of the best renditions of Amazing Grace are even done now and have yet to be made. This thing has been rewritten over almost 200 times, Wikipedia said when it was lying. But maybe since this NFL Super Bowl Sunday, and everyone wants to get an uproar about if you get on your knee or not or if we should sing Amazing Grace and all this crazy stuff. I mean, sing, uh, sing uh, the, the, the national anthem, uh, whatever. 
How about I got a suggestion as a Christian for Super Bowl Sunday? Nobody get on their knee. Nobody do anything out of order. How about we put a cross in the middle of the field and we sing amazing grace before the game starts? That's my suggestion. Because that is a true renouncing of our old ways and practicing through, through liturgy, through structure, through song, and through spirit, real reconciliation. I would love for the nation to change the Star Spangled Banner to the Amazing Grace. Could you imagine presidents singing Amazing Grace? Could you imagine every single one of our beautiful, uh, most uh, auspicious moments being led in by a moment of reflection about how Christ has broken us out of our sin? Then we will be a truly Christian nation reflecting on what Christ did for us at the cross. The broken barriers. Christ broke the barriers. You got to get up out of the grave because he's changed your name. He's healed your heart. He, he, you're not the same anymore. He's abolished your old ways. He abolished the ways of you collectively together acting against him. He breaks the barriers even within the temple, within the church, within this new space and era. I realize um, that I'm not, I mean, I, I just got to make a confession. I'm not even going to lie about it. How about this? I'm not really a, a real strong sports fan. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, I'm not. And, and John brought me up here the other time, and he, went, he asked me about the Sox in public, and that was cool. And I'm like, yeah, you know I'm a Sox fan because I'm from the South Side of Chicago. Yeah, yeah, you know. And then, and then he started asking me questions about the team, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, man, it's by affiliation, bro, by affiliation. <laughs> gang, gang, we stick together, Okay. I don't check every day to see what's going on. I've only been to two games in the last two years. But I realized that I wasn't a real, real sports fan because real, real sports, the, 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 the hostility runs deep. Okay, I go out to a restaurant a couple weeks ago with a friend just chilling. I'm like, oh, it's packed in here. That's weird for, you know, a bunch of crazy liberal people downtown wearing masks all the time and scared to go anywhere. Why y'all in here? I did see the green and yellow on the screen. I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe, uh, I don't know. Maybe they came from Wisconsin, I don't know. But it got really weird. I didn't really know the other team. I'm like, oh, maybe, I don't know. I don't know the other team. I don't know they're playing. But it got weird because every time the other team scored, everybody in the room started screaming and cheering. They were happy at the demise of the Packers. <laughs> Okay, that's not funny. Let me move on. <laughs> what I realized is that being a real sports fan is not just you cheer for the Bears and against the other opposing team, but it's also that you cheer for when your rival gets destroyed. That's a real Bears fan. My Christian theology didn't seek that. It didn't allow me to rejoice in someone else's demise. No matter how much I hated them. (laughs) 
I hope that analogy makes sense. Paul, there's, 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 two, there's two groups going on here. Either you were Roman or you weren't, period. Or for the Jews, either you were Jewish or you were Gentile, period. There's no in-between. really doesn't matter. It's either you're one or the other. But for Paul, he says that it's not just that Christ has abolished the anarchy and now he has broken down the barriers and now you can be welcomed and grafted into the family of God. But he says that there is a new group now that has been created and this new group, one who really understands what God has done for them is a new creation, they're Christians. So it's not that you're a Gentile now welcome into the Jewish family. And it's not that you're a Jew who now recognizes who Christ is. It is that now your life has been completely transformed. You're a new creation and you are now a Christian. The barriers have been completely broken down. Abolishment has to do not just with the moments of things being, but the systematic uprooting of something. Christ breaks the barriers, then the barriers that even dive deep, the moments of hostility that dive deep, that I can watch on Super Bowl Sunday, and even though I'm not investing in either team, I can still cheer and be happy because it's a holiday. I've been wholly transformed to have a good time on a holiday like Super Bowl Sunday and enjoy whoever wins that I don't have to live with bitterness in my heart because my team didn't make it. All right, that's not preaching. Okay, let me... Let me. <laughs> Paul says, peace here is what Christ has done for my note takers. And this is 14 through 17. What Christ has purposed and what Christ preached, what Christ has done, what Christ has purposed and what Christ preached that Jews and Gentiles now come together and become a new group under this new peace. For he himself is peace who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall. What is peace? Peace in this biblical theological framework is one of beautiful Irene, not just a psychological transformation of seeing her beauty, but a holistic transformation of seeing her beauty, shalom. That we are in view of Christ, of Christ's grace and his mercy and dude, we get to get one over holistically that it changes the systems around. It changes our life. We fall in love with this new order of how things will be. This is the Messiah blessing. This is the gospel of peace. Feet fitted and ready to be a part of that gospel. Glory to God in the highest peace on whom his what? Favor rests. A new governance, a new order. Romans 5.1 says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through who? Our Lord King of kings, Lord of lords, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.19 from the beautiful hymn, Christ made peace through his blood shed 
on the cross. That real cross and reconciliation brings about the breaking down of barriers, which is for the purpose of peace. Christ has done this, and Christ has purposed it for our lives. Christ at the cross absorbed the wrath that was meant for us as sons and daughters of lawlessness. And he has taken on the condemnation. And now we have a new transformation, a new status in him. I live in a city and I'm a real city boy. But it's one thing I hate about city people. Can I, can I vent here a little bit since I'm not in the city? I got this bike crew I hang out with. I'm telling you, we, we have a lot of fun. I, I'm avid bicyclist. We go on all type of trips uh, and, and just ride. We ride, yes, outside of the city. Um, um, but, but when the COVID thing happened, they wanted, they, I got to see, I thought they were a little different, you know, we're not just going to be sitting, we're going to be people who get out, they like hiking and doing, you know, stuff that, you know, normal people do, but for city people, it's cool, and I was just so disappointed because they wanted to post in our group chat on Instagram every single day how they're getting all these COVID tests to check their status every day. And I'm like, guys, the CDC already said you don't have to go get tested every year. You're, you're, you're freaking out. You're causing social anxiety in the group. This is not normal. <laughs> it got to the point where they didn't want you to come over to the house or come by unless you had your negative test to show them on your phone. <laughs> City phone. <laughs> They're going to die. And so... My, my, my point is that with that negative illustration, we see the positivity of what Christ has done with us. That just like going and getting the status test, it shows that your status is different. Now we have been transformed by him. And the true transformation is not just showing each your friends your status. But it is the fact that Christ really did transform you. That he breaks down, abolishes the law, and breaks down the barriers. That it was not the law of moral law, but it was the law of covenant law. Or So you don't have to freak out every day about using the same pot or touching electricity. <laughs> you don't have to freak out every day about the extremities of what the law has produced for you, but your status has been changed. And so you know that through his death, you now don't have to commit to a law for grace, but you commit to the, to the cross for grace. That's the beautiful part of, in, of communion. Not the actual transactual moment of infusing grace within you, although I love my sacramental brothers and sisters and I got nothing against sacraments. And I'm not saying that I'm against sacraments. <laughs> There's another Trinity person in the room. You got to like go all, go all the way down in theology. But 
that the point of this passage is that in taking communion, you are status changed being with Christ in grace. That take this blood, the blood that has been shed, take this bread, my broken body. In doing so, you remember as those who are dismembered what grace is and what it has done for you. You are part of a new race. You are part of a new humanity. The shalom is here. The good news is here. And what beautiful part of this Trinitarian last piece, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And then it says that Christ is the precious cornerstone. That consequently now those who are foreigners against Christ have now been welcomed in as a new creation, a part of his household, and he gives three antitypes. It's not that the temple is this building, but the temple is Christ's sacrifice. It's not that the temple is this building, but it, the temple is our sacrifice of praise and loving community together. And not that the temple is this building, but that your body is the temple of God. God remodels your house and makes your house, your body, a beautiful new dwelling place. That we get to see the practical applications of this in Ephesians chapter 4, where we become new people in him one with Christ, and in doing so, we see true reconciliation and true cross, no matter your background, no matter your orientation, no matter your race, no matter your nationality, no matter your political affiliations, no matter if you're a guy or a girl, no matter what distinctions or differences this world and its lawlessness might push forward as issues of hostility, now before the cross, we cling to the cross and only see that which is true reconciliation in him as a new creation. And I close in this, Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and his path beyond trancing out, tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.